coming in hot, Chinch. How we doing, man? Coming in super hot. Thanksgiving was yeah. awesome yesterday. It was a beautiful day. Everybody had a great time. And, like, we're just... Everything's about being thankful, right, Case? So we're yeah. thankful that uh, about what we're doing today because this is like I know this is near and dear to your heart. What, what's going on today? On well, the show? well, dude, I'm gonna start. We're starting the uh, you know the Breakthrough Mindset podcast. You know, once a week, and I couldn't think of anyone better to have on to start it off than my good friend Brian Kane. I feel like he is the best mental performance coach out there. Works with so many professional athletes, UFC fighters, baseball players a ton of college teams, you name it, man. This guy's worked with him, and I'm fired up to pick his brain and get it out to our viewers. Yeah, I'm really psyched about this, too. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to step aside because these two guys are pros at talking about this kind of stuff together. You guys are in for a super treat. So without further ado, here's our boy, Sean Casey, the mayor, with the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Keane. All right, everybody. I am super, super excited. Almost couldn't contain myself. I was just jumping on my trampoline, kind of getting ready to go, because this guy is a great friend of mine and also one of my favorite guys. Let me, let me give the proper introduction, though. He's the creator of Mental Performance Mastery, NPM Coaching Certification. I've already gone through that. Bam, check, checkmate on that one. More importantly, man, this guy is the best in the business, right? I, 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 I've worked with uh, Harvey Dorfman, who I thought was the best, uh, Ken Reveza, there's been so many legends in the game, and this guy is the guy now in 2022. Brian Kane is the guy, works with a ton of UFC champions, six to be uh, exact. He's worked with four Cy Young Award winners, Heisman Trophy winner, tons of colleges. Matter of fact, Kane, it's so ridiculous that I'm not even going to read all this stuff because you have so many unbelievable accolades. But I want to bring in, man, one of my dear friends, Brian Kane. How you doing, Kane? Man, it's so good to have you here inside the mayor's office in Breakthrough Mindset. How you doing? brother case uh i can't be doing any better than i am right now man i'm on here with you you're wearing you're wearing my favorite t-shirt on the planet that says the word good on it representing jocko and the brand which is yeah. fantastic huge fan yeah. and you know I, it's 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 amazing to me that here we are because yeah. it might have been three years ago i saw a video of you talking on the mlb network about your hitting mindset and talking about how process over outcome, watch positive video, know you belong for a reason, and three keys to keep it simple. And I have shared that video with every, not just baseball, but every team and every athlete that I have worked with over the last three years or so since I saw that video. And I remember when the pandemic hit, our friend Eric Milton, who's a baseball coach at Severnum Park That's High School, right. throw a no-hitter yes. in the big leagues, he was like, Kane, or hey, would you do a Zoom call and talk to, to my team over the break? I'm like, Milt, sure. You know, I'd love to do so. I go, who else have you had on there? And he's like, oh, I've had Cal Ripken and I've had Jim Tome and I've had Sean Casey. And I was like, all right, yeah, I, I definitely don't belong in that group. But yeah, put me in. And I go, but you, I, and I said, you know Sean Casey? And he's like, yeah, actually, we just talked the other day. He was asking me if I could give him your number. So can I give you your number? I go, no, give me Casey's number. And I'm calling him because he, if there's three guys on the planet that I could sit down and I could have dinner with, it'd be Brian Johnson, <laughs> optimized, Sean Casey, and I don't know who the third one is. And here we are now, you know, I consider you and Brian good friends of mine. I'm on your podcast. I'm speaking to his event in December. And it's like, if there's nothing else that people get out of today, take this. You manifest what you want in your life. Thoughts become things. And when you set a goal and you set a vision and you work relentlessly, you can be, have, and do anything you want with enough time and enough training. So whether it's being on this on the mayor's office, you know, and being here with you, uh, if it's being you and I being together with Brian Johnson in December at Heroic in LA, or it's literally 
pinching me and blowing my mind that I get to be a mental performance coach full time. Have have <laughs> if I had three days left to live, this is exactly what I would do. And I stand on the shoulders of giants who you've mentioned, like Ken Revisa, Harvey Dorfman, and I would throw Rob Gilbert on the Mount Rushmore of mental performance with those three guys, Sean Casey. I'm fired up to be here. Kaner, Kaner, bro. I mean, I I I've got the chills, bro, because that's what you bring. That's what you bring to the table. Like when we get together, we were just at your place in Arizona, uh, you know, a few months back. And, you know, just the energy that you bring, that you bring to people. That's why I feel like you're the best in the business at what you do. Uh, uh, before we get going, also, Kaner's like a crazy, like this guy's like ultra marathon guy, like, you know, Iron Man, all this stuff. And I was out with Kaner uh, a few months back at his place in Arizona. We were, we were putting together some different stuff, some of the stuff with my program. And, you know, listen, when you want to put together an unbelievable program you go right to the best so kate and i spent a weekend together he's like hey case let's go for a bike ride i'm like bro listen i'm not a big bike rider bro i'm like but a peloton i you know you had a peloton in the garage i can't i'll be on the peloton you're like come on dude let's go just get on the bike so i'm like all right man how how harmless could a 20 minute bike ride right so we go and caner's got you know he looks like lance armstrong you know he's got the glasses he's got like seven thousand dollars worth of gear in his body he's all dressed up he's got six suits on you know he's like you ready to go i'm like are you serious he's got the mirror on the thing i'm like um so i get on the i get on a bike caner starts ripping and we come we're coming down this one hill and he's like hey sharp left here i'm like all right sharp left i haven't made a sharp left in a while but so i look and there's a road there but there's also there's a road there so i'm like okay good my eyes are right on the road i'm like okay i'm gonna make this turn so caner doesn't go to the road he makes a sharp left up this path so i kind of overshoot the path and go to turn left boom oh, right over the handlebars uh worst case scenario flying in midair i'm like this was such a dumb idea thank god i have a helmet on just had soldier shoulder surgery three months earlier bam i land I thought I broke a rib, but it still hurts to this day. But Kaner comes back, oh, my God, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not okay. I'm heading back to the house. But we did also get into a 36-degree cold tub. That still yeah. makes me feel like I did something hard that day. So thanks for that bike ride, Kaner. It's really, really worked out great for well, me. Just, just so you know, I have petitioned, I have petitioned to the, uh, the board of regents at Chaparral Pines Golf Course to change that from Indian paintbrush to <laughs> Corner. So we're working, we're working on we're working on getting a, a sign put up there and there's still there's still the spray paint of the person on there. I make sure that on my morning runs I always go by and make sure it's still intact. Incredible, bro. Incredible, <laughs> man. You're the best, dude. You are the best. Hey, I want to start it off and go back. You know, I know you, you mentioned Ken Reveza, but why did Brian Kane? What made Brian Kane want to become the best mental performance coach in the business. Well, I'll tell you, it goes back. It goes all the way back to to when I'm in high school football. I remember Clear's Day case. I, I went to high school in Williamstown, Massachusetts. I graduated high school in 1997. So my freshman fall, six five four three. Freshman fall, 1993. I'm walking into Phillips General Store, Williamstown, Massachusetts with a couple of buddies of mine who weren't playing a fall sport. They were going to play fall baseball. I was a junior high quarterback, small school. I graduated with 90 kids and I wasn't going to play high school football because I was going to go play fall baseball, which didn't exist. Really, I was going to be getting myself into trouble. Right. And I'm about to steal a pack of Swedish fish and walk out of the store. And my high school football coach, John Allen, says, Brian Kane, how come you're not playing high school football? And I was like, well, I'm going to play fall baseball. He goes, we don't have fall baseball here because I played football and baseball at Holy Cross. You want to be a baseball player? You come play quarterback for us. You'll become a better athlete. I'll train you to be a better, better at what you do. And if you want to throw a baseball, throw the after practice any day you want. 
So, well, that solves all my problems. I'm in. But, Coach, you guys have already started practice. He goes, we got a scrimmage tomorrow. I'll have one of the coaches pick you up on the way. Sean Flaherty picks me up on the way. I go stand on the sideline, watch the inter-squad scrimmage, and join the football team. JV quarterback is a freshman, varsity quarterback, sophomore, junior, senior, captain my senior year. And John Allen, every day in high school practice, he used to have a quote of the day. It might be something like, it's not the size of the dog of the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. It might be something like, attitude is a decision. It might be something along the lines of, I'm from Missouri, show me, don't tell me. And every day after practice, he would have these quotes. And I would always say, hey, coach, can I take that one? I would go home and I'd put it on the ceiling of my room. So I'd lay down in my house and I would look up at the ceiling. And I would see all these quotes and I would just kind of get into it because I knew I knew I needed something to get out of like the situation I was in. I knew I knew I needed something around motivation and mental performance. And I needed an edge because it wasn't my talent wasn't my edge. My background and support wasn't my edge. Like my edge had to become something. And it was probably going to be outworking. <laughs> Uh, out competing right and I remember from there I was like I want to I want to go get a phys ed degree in college and come back and be the football basketball football and baseball coach and AD at Mount Greylock High School and teach phys ed I want to be John Allen I go get a scholarship to play division one college baseball at the University of Vermont I'm 21 and two as a high school baseball player I've never failed I go to division one college baseball and I can't succeed and it's not because I'm not working hard. It's not because I'm not committed. I'm not a good teammate. Don't have a good attitude. I'm just focused on things I can't control. I'm trying to get hitters out instead of make a pitch. I'm trying to be a starter instead of get better at increasing my strike percentage and execution percentage. And oh, by the way, Case, the first day of practice at tryouts, I'm on a scholarship. So the coach goes, hey, man, you don't have to be here. Go run. I go, how much? He goes, ah, 100 poles <laughs> laughing. Should I go in the locker room? I come out with my Sony yellow Walkman got my headphones on i got metallica enter sandman the black album on repeat and i'm running behind the <laughs> outfield fence a hundred poles wow that's a ton three, three and a half hours it was basically like running a marathon i had to stop and go to the local store and get a pack of batteries because my double a's had died inside of my walk <laughs> and the coach is leaving practice driving out and he looks and he sees me running behind the wall and he goes you're still here i say yeah i got 10 more poles to go he goes, how many of you ran? I said, 90. And he shook his head and go, you're really running 100 poles. And, drove out. <laughs> and, and as you know, in baseball, right? Like I threw 88 as a sophomore in high school. I threw 82 as a senior in college. And when you think about like development as an athlete, explosive, fast twitch, power versus cardio, cardio is going to kill you as a baseball player. It's not going to make you any better. So I was working hard. I was working hard at the wrong things. So I end up having a shoulder surgery my junior year. I walk into Barnes & Noble on July 4th, 2000 at 600 West Boylston Street on campus of Boston University, right across from Fenway Park, a place that you know well. Right. And I walk into that bookstore case. <clears throat> this book right here, Heads Up Baseball. Mm. I go to the baseball section and can revisit. I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't know the mental game baseball was a thing. And I'm flipping through. And there's all these black boxes in there that you can read to get the cliff notes of the book. I've never bought a book. I've never read a book. I'm going to my senior year of college. I'm a phys ed major. I buy the book I, and I, I can't put it down. I read it on the ride back to Burlington, Vermont, make my buddy drive my car. I walk to the library on July 5th and I send Ken Revisit an email and say, I'm graduating this year. I want to be a high school coach. If I, I'll get paid more if I have a master's. Do you have a master's in sports psychology? He hand writes me a letter back three weeks later, which I still had it. 
and says, hey, I'm from Connecticut. We love guys from the Northeast. I'm out of Cal State Fullerton. I could probably get you to, to be a volunteer, grad assistant of some role with Long Beach or UCLA or Fullerton Baseball. Come on out and take a visit. I fly out there in November. I'm supposed to stay. It's November, my senior year. I'm supposed to stay with a student. Student gets food poisoning. I stay at Ken Revisa's house. Mm. We walk down the stairs into his office, and I walk into like a hall of fame of mental performance. Wall-to-wall books. Jim Abbott had just thrown a no-hitter, and there was a feedback sheet on the fax machine that Jim Abbott had filled out and faxed to Ken Revisa from the hotel. There's Olympic medals. There's championship rings. There's videos. Skip Bertman and Ken Revisa pictures. At the time, Skip had won five national championships with LSU in the 90s. He was like a hero of mine. And Ken goes, hey, well, I'll have you sleep down here and, you know, on the on the couch. It's a pullout. He goes, but make yourself at home. I don't sleep. I'm <laughs> videos in the VHS thing, taking video, taking notes on him talking to Nebraska football, him talking uh, to, to Syracuse football, watching him at spring training with the Angels, watching him talk to UCLA, Long Beach, all these videotapes, VHS tapes. He comes down in the morning at like 7 o'clock and goes, you haven't even gotten in the sheets. I said, sorry, I didn't realize I've been taking notes. This is what I want to do with my life. And he goes, good. We're going to get along great. I end, up going to school, I end up going to school there for two years. I do my master's with Ken Revisa. At the time, I'm thinking, I want to be a college baseball coach. It didn't take me long to go, I want to do sports psychology. I want to be Ken Revisa just like I wanted to be John Allen, my high school football coach. Problem is, there's no jobs in sports psychology. It's not like you go get a – it's not All like right. every – it's not like every university has a sports psych person that they're hiring or every school has three phys ed teachers. No, nobody has that. So right. I didn't have an entrepreneur bone. There was no career path. So I get done at Cal State Fullerton. I remember sitting on the on the curb outside of Rosenblatt Stadium in Omaha, 2003. We beat LSU, beat Stanford. Stanford comes back and beats us twice. We're out of the College World Series. I'm out of a job. I got a plane ticket back to Vermont and my phone rings. And it's Troy Parody from Champlain Valley Union High School in Vermont, who I used to sit next to working events at the University of Vermont. And he says, hey, saw the game. Congrats on a great season. We just had an opening in our phys ed department. Are you interested? I said, I'll come up there tomorrow. <laughs> Fly home, drive up, interview, get the job. So I'm teaching one year out of Cal State Fullerton, phys ed and health, coaching football and softball, working mental performance in the classroom, working mental performance with my football and softball team. Then I become an athletic director. At the time, I become an AD. Dave Serrano, and as the pitching coach at Fullerton, they win the national championship in 04 with a lot of the same players that run the team there in two and three. So he goes to Irvine. He starts flying me out from Vermont to UC Irvine almost one weekend a month. I start working with them. And then he introduces me to Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt and Jim Schlossnagel at TCU. And on my first three college teams, David Price, Ryan Flaherty, Jake Arrieta, and Matt Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like starting with the who's who of the time, right? And then it just started to matriculate case. And every year it compounded and I'd pick up two more teams or more teams on campus. And it got to a point where, you know, I was traveling 250, 280 days a year, walked away from my AD job I did for eight years in Vermont. And I just kind of willed myself into being a mental performance coach by sheer will, saying yes. Uh, and because I had great relationships established and because Ken Revisa and, and being able to say I was trained by him opened up doors because people couldn't afford him, but they could afford me. He couldn't make it because he was busy with the Cubs or the Angels or Tampa with Joe Madden. So I would go in and do it. And it's just continued to compound, man. And it's been the most amazing thing that I, that could have ever happened to me. Think, dude, Kaner, incredible story. I, w- I want to stay on Ken Revisa because you said Ken Revisa trained you. Yeah. What are the what are the big things? What are the big concepts that you remember that have, have stuck with you that Ken Revesa trained you on? 
Well, I'll give you the first two rules because I teach them in my certification course and my 30-day athletes program, and they're the foundation of everything I teach. Rule number one, you have to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. And we talk a lot about self-control and staying neutral or staying stoic and having a routine and breathing that you do before you get in the batter's box to stay in control of yourself. We also then talk about the rule number two, you have very little control of what goes on around you, but total control of how you choose to respond to it. So that idea that attitude is a decision, that idea that the, the, the biggest form of mental toughness is responsibility, meaning your ability to choose your response in any situation. Now, Ken didn't call it this, but we've since learned through Jack Canfield and the success principles, Urban Meyer and his book, Above the Line, Dr. Rob Gilbert with Success Hotline, these are the places where I first heard it, is E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome. Ken Revisit was saying that all the time. He just said, your attitude you take is a decision you make. Now, Jocko's good is actually the mm-hmm. response to the event. Ken used to say, Beautiful. He'd walk, I remember him walking up and down a dugout 2003 at Cal State Fullerton. We give up seven runs in the first inning, and he's going, beautiful. Love the adversity. Let's see how we handle it. Beautiful. They're going to shut it down because they think they won in the first. We'll get them. We'll get them in the eighth. Just keep scrapping, winning pitches. Beautiful. Mm. That was his version of good. So what I've seen, Case, is that like success leaves clues, mm-hmm. and a lot of the things that Ken was teaching back, you know, I mean, he started doing the mental game with Augie Garrido at Fullerton in 1978. He started with Joe Madden in 1980, you know, and the things that he was doing back then are the things that we're still doing in mental performance today. He just was such a pioneer that didn't really have a framework or a system that could be repeated like I've created with the 10 pillars. But the majority of the 10 pillars is Ken Revizzo 101. Wow, that's incredible, man. It's funny because, you you know, you get. You gave me this when I was there, and it was a picture of Harvey Dorfman, who was my Ken Revisa for you. You know, and I got a chance to work with Harvey, and I'm sure Harvey and Ken were good buddies. You know, when you look back, you know, Harvey was big on that too. You know, the kind of the failures feedback, the good, how are you going to respond, the stimulus first response, all that stuff. I remember talking to Harvey one time. I think I was 0 for 12 and and I, with 11 lineouts. And I remember calling him because I was just was frustrated by the 0 for 12. The 0 for 12 bothered me. And I called Harvey and, he, and I was like, hey, Harvey, what's going on? He's like, hey, what's going on? And I was like, listen, 0 for my last 12. He's like, okay, great. He's like, tell me about it. Tell me about your process. How's your process look? That process has been great, man. I've been hunting the fastball, looking middle way, reacting in. First at bat, rocket left center gap. Guys make, make a dive and play. I mean, next at bat, line out. Turns out I had 11 bullets out of 12. And I remember Harvey saying to me, remember Harvey saying to me, and, and you know Harvey, you know Ken. These guys were kind of old school guys. You know, they, they, didn't, they, were, they, they just wanted to know if you were following, focus on the task at hand, following the process. And Harvey's like, hey, man, just want to let you know, why are you calling me? I said, well, because I'm 0 for 12. He goes, I don't care about the 0 for 12. I care about your job is you're supposed to hit the ball hard every time up. You've done it 11 out of the last 12 times. Call me when you really have a problem. And I remember hanging out out with Harvey going, he's right, man. He's right. I got to continue to focus on the task at hand. One pitch at a time. Make my process so good, whether I'm 0 for 4, 4 for or whatever, just keep going. Have a, have a protocol that works. Figure out who I am. Control the controllables for me as, as whether it's gear up or slow down and do it every pitch after pitch after pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So good. In case, I mean, that's, that's what really attracted me to you first was, 
was that video on the MLB Network that we're going to have to link to the show notes here so people can watch yeah. it. I want to watch it right now, but yeah. <laughs> I want to also continue to give as much content as we can. So yeah. if you're watching this, click on the show notes to the link of Sean Casey talking about his mental approach to hitting on the MLB Network. I mean, it, it is maybe the best 10 minutes that and the Evan Longoria E60 let's link to that too with Ken Revisa and talking about Evan Longoria and the work that he did on the mental game those two pieces of content KCMOB network yeah. Longoria Ken Revisa E60 probably the best 25 minutes in the history of the mental game of baseball <laughs> and when you watch it you're going to go oh this is what they're doing yeah thanks Kaner I appreciate that man it's that, unbelievable that- that means a lot coming from you, man. That means a lot coming from you. I got a question for you, brother, because, you know, as far as like, you know, obviously we're, we're, all, we're both big Brian Johnson fans. We're both heroic guys. Um, and, and I think one of the things that I know that you live by, you know, you're a guy that you don't just say it, you bring it, right? And, you know, one of the things you talk about, dominate the day, all that stuff. But the physiology drives psychology. 90% of our psychology, the physiology drives 90% of psychology. Could you talk about that a little bit and what that and, and how that uh, reflects the way you live your life? Yeah, for sure. It's so a couple other concepts that drop in there. Physiology drives psychology. Here's another way to say it. Physiology, how I act drives my psychology, how I feel, how I think. Right. The mental game, my perspective is not about how you think it's about how you act because how you act will change how you feel And most. Most people think that mental performance is, well, it's how I think and how I think determines how I feel. And that's partially true. But I can't see how Sean Casey is thinking, but I can see how Sean Casey is acting. And if Sean Casey is acting big with his physiology, if if I see him focusing on the present moment and the task at hand, then I know that the confidence in the performance is probably going to follow. So here's a way to here's a way to say it. Let your feelings, no, 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 sorry. Let your actions change your feelings. Don't let your feelings dictate your actions. Feelings can be false. It's the start that stops most people. So however you want to feel, act that way first, and then you shall become. And I look at two of the greatest, greatest athletes I've worked with, and, and they they bought into this and helped them to go to another level. And one of them is a guy named Jake Arrieta. I started with Jake Arrieta in 2006 at TCU when he was a pitcher there. I mentioned that earlier. He wins the Cy Young in 2015 with the Cubs. Underneath the brim of his hat, he writes down the acronym ACE. Acting changes everything. He said Mm. one thing is that you're not guaranteed to feel good every day, but you can project the confidence that you are. And then when I started working in, in mixed martial arts in the UFC, and I had a chance to work with arguably the greatest athlete of all time in the UFC, a guy named George St. Pierre. And... I remember George, when he, I started with him right after he lost his first fight to Matt Sarah. He was an 11 to, yep. 11 to 1 favorite, April 6, 2006, Tokyo Center or Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, knocked out in the first round, biggest upset in UFC history at the time. We start working together after that fight. And I remember one of the things he says is, man, I, 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 want, to, I want to feel more confident before the fight. I said, I can't help you. Mm. He's like, man, well, Rich Franklin said this and the Cowboy said this. And these guys have said you helped them to be more confident. And I said, I can help you act more confident, but I'm not sure I can help you feel more confident. I said, confidence is a choice. It's something you do, not something you feel. And he was like, tell me more. And I said, you're not get, you're going into a fight. You're going in the octagon. You know you're going to get bones broken. You know you might end up in the hospital. Like, it's the most combative thing on the planet besides war. Like, 
you're going to end up getting injured. You're putting your body in there. There's a physiological response that your body's going to have knowing you're going to the octagon. You're going to feel scared. You're going to feel nervous. Your arms are going to feel heavy. You're going to have a dry mouth. Good. That's what you signed up for. That's what you're going to miss when you retire. But you got to act different than how you feel. So Mike Tyson says the same thing. Mike Tyson says in a clip that when the locker room door was shut, he's nervous. He's scared. He knows how good the other guy is. He knows the other guy's been training. But once that locker room door would open up, boom, he'd flip the switch, and I'm into acting mode. And you would act different than how you feel, or as you say, fake it until you make it. Make it. And then we would say, based off of the research from Amy Cuddy at Harvard in her book, Presence, it's fake it till you become it. That when you're actually faking with the big physiology, you're increasing testosterone, decreasing cortisol, and positioning yourself for success. So in the show notes below, I would link to a video on my YouTube channel of George St. Pierre on ESPN Highly Questionable, where they ask him, when did you become confident? And he says, confidence, it's a choice. It's not a mental state. He says, Saturday night, when I get inside of the octagon against Michael Bisming at Madison Square Garden, I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to be nervous. But this is normal because you know what the outcome can be. But the image that I'm going to project to the people is that I can't lose, that I'm invincible, that I'm going to win no matter what. He goes, but uh, you fake it until you make it. And by the time I get to the octagon, I have a transformation and I'm more confident. He says, but if I'm the most well-prepared I can be, I control the things that I can control, and I act with confidence, that's what it takes if you want to be successful. So between George St. Pierre saying that, between Jake Arrieta saying that, and between the other countless, you know, eight UFC world champions I've worked with, the four Cy Award winners, world champions in figure skating, world champions in women's tie down calf roping, mm. they all go through the same thing. I'm working with one of the top NFL linemen right now, goes through the same thing, right? The thing that they want to know is other guys feel this way too. Lance Berkman, who you know, right? Who played, who was a six-time Major League Baseball All-Star. He's a head yeah. baseball coach at HBU. Should, should be in Cooper. Should be in Cooperstown. I'm, yeah. I'm going to push for that forever. I mean, Bert, when I thought when I went down there to work with his team this fall, I asked him, I go, "Did you ever have like fear going to home plate? Were you confident all the time?" He goes, "Bro, <laughs> every time I walked to home plate, there was a fear." And I was like, "Wow." So I think what athletes yeah. have to learn, Case, and I'd like to hear your take on this, is that fear is fuel. Fear is fuel if you channel it right. What are your takes on that, dude? I love that. You know, I I, I used to I used to have to go to the bat. I used to I used to have to take a piss before every one of my bats. That's a lot of a lot a lot of pisses in my big league career because like yeah. you get the nerves going. But I think one thing I love about that is like you know the the same part of your brain that says you're nervous is says you're excited. Mm -hmm. So I choose excitement. I choose for that when I go in that one-on-one -on -one competition, when I'm in the box and that guy's on the mound, no one can help me but me, right? So I got to go through my process. I got to choose to be excited. I got to choose to look at it not as a chance to fail. I got to choose to look at it as an opportunity to succeed, an opportunity to get after it, right? And I have to look at Kaner. I think this is one of the biggest things. I looked at this the other day because I was, I, was, I was having a conversation with my son, Jake, and I looked and I had 1,531 career hits. So I'm a career 302 hitter. Everyone's like, hey, great job. That's really awesome you did that. Then I looked at my bats. I got out 3,535 times, 35 times. And what I said was that 3,535 times was the information, was the feedback I needed to get those 1,531 hits to fail 70% of the time and succeed 30% of the time. 
I had to be in the arena. Like I had to go through the process of facing, you know, the Randy Johnsons, the Greg Maddox, the Smoltz, the Schillings, all these great pitchers, and to get the feedback of how to how to how to beat these guys. How are they how are they going to attack me? And it just helped me so much because I I love that failures feedback, man. Listen, it's the whole winner learn process. Like you got to be able to do the work. And have inner trust and inner confidence in yourself that when you get in that box, you know, you're ready to go. Um, Kaner, I want to I want to I want to stay on George St. Pierre there really quick because sure. this guy is one of the greatest. I mean, arguably the greatest UFC fighter ever. And you were a big part of, of I, I believe, of, of, of him going to that next level. First off, what was it like? Because you were in his corner, right? You were in his corner in some of his biggest fights. What's it like for a mental performance coach in the octagon with one of the greatest fighters of all time? Surreal, um, <laughs> very surreal, and uh, I mean, during during the fight itself, I'm not much help because it's so fast, and there's such limited time in terms of the one minute between rounds in the corner. I'm not offering much advice, but I but what I what I would do before the fight is meet with the coaches, right and sit down with with Phil Nurse and Faraz Sahabi and Jonathan Chambers and Greg Jackson and all the coaches that would be there with George in the corner or at different times. And I remember us meeting at the MGM Grand before the UFC 74 fight against Josh Koscheck. And I would and I would just give them my feedback. And I'd say, hey, guys, I've watched a lot of UFC fights. And sometimes I see in the corner, six coaches come in and it's, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that, and they're talking over each other. And you see the fighter like getting all this information. Right. And I said, well, the one thing that Ken Revisa would say, you got to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. Let's slow the heart rate down. And Greg Jackson and the coaches, they were very open-minded and they were also very into breathing and mental performance. I think before it was, it was really a, a thing that people understood. Mm-hmm. So, so Greg Jackson would say, when I come back to the corner, George, I want you to breathe, slow your heart rate down, breathe, breathe, slow your heart rate down, get here. Good. And you take the first 15 and 20 seconds and just get present, breathe, slow your heart rate down. And then he basically would go into a well, better how, right? And he would say first 20 seconds is breathing, get centered. Next 30 seconds is kind of well, better how like, hey, we're landing the jab. We're landing the jab. Well, let's keep doing that. We got to do a better job of throwing another combination off of the jab or working in to get the takedown. And the way you're going to do that is set up the jab with, you know, I'm making this up here, but set up I the one that that yes. works to get the single leg. And then he would say, all right, breathe. And, and then they would have you know, the ice on the back. And then other coaches might say stuff. But the coaches are talking during the during the round about what they want George to do. So when they come back to the corner, it was like one instructional voice. It's not four different people. Those guys are talking during the round in the corner, right? And Because right. it's so hard for the athlete to hear what's being said while they're fighting and there are 16,000 people screaming. They can't really hear often what the coaches are saying, especially when he was fighting because it was so loud, Right. And they would talk in the corner and one guy would go in, breathe, well, better how, here's what we're doing, boom, next approach. And that's kind of, I'm overgeneralizing, but that's kind of how it would go. But the place where I was of benefit uh, would be, you know, a training camp would start eight weeks out and we'd sit down and kind of map out a skeleton for the eight week plan. And as, as the fight got closer, the nerves got bigger, the training volume dropped down. So there was more media. It was more real. The fight's here. So the nerves kicked in. So that's when we would work with mental imagery and visualization audios. I would build, I would make a highlight video of his best performances to his walkout song with words popping on the screen that would be like, um, I love this. My my cardio is better. My pace is faster. 
uh, you know, my takedowns are better. All the things that he would tell me he would do to help win the fight, make that highlight video, and he would watch it consistently for like a month leading up to the fight. So, like, imagine case right now, if I played uh, Eye of the Tiger, what pops into your mind? Rocky. Exactly. So, if you were a UFC <laughs> fighter walking to the cage and you heard a song, what pops into your mind? I want popping into your mind your highlight video that you see of you dominating guys and the best you've ever fought and the words popping on the screen to use your language, your three keys to keep it simple that right. he would do when he would play his best or fight his best. And then, you know, we would, we would um, use those tools and I might be in the locker room and there might be just kind of an observation of body language and looking for like that nervous energy that we would turn into excitement and, and just kind of help and navigate that week of the fight, which the nerves can, can get overwhelming. And I've seen a lot of UFC fighters, uh, lose the fight before it starts because they get into yellow lights or red lights and they got nothing to go to to get themselves out of it. What, explain that yellow lights and red lights. Yeah, so this is Ken Revizzo 101 and it's the, it's the framework that we use and the analogy we use to talk about the skill of awareness. So you have what you're aware of, you can control. What you're unaware of will control you. And awareness is the first step to growth. So imagine driving a car. Come to a green light, I go. Yellow light, I either have to slow down or step on the gas. Red light, I stop. But when I come to that yellow light, what happens? I look at the approaching traffic in the intersection. I look at the, the, the stoplight. I look for any cameras. I look for any police cars. I see how fast I'm going. I see, is there any ice in the area? Am I in Pittsburgh or Arizona? Am I <laughs> and I step on the gas or I step on the brake, but that takes awareness. Well, in athletic context or life context, green light means I'm in control. And I got to be in control of myself before I can control my performance. Yellow light, I'm losing control. Red light, I've lost control. And for a hitter going to home plate in yellow lights or red lights, or a UFC fighter going to the octagon in yellow lights or red lights, you're dramatically decreasing your chances of success when the margin for error is so small and the competition is so fierce. Where athletes that I work with in college, let's say, can be in high school. And because they're so much more physically dominant than the people they're playing against, because they're a Division I college baseball player playing at the high school level, they can go and succeed. This was me. You can go and succeed in yellow lights and red lights because you're better than everybody. But when the competition gets to be equal and now everyone's a Division One player and I'm playing in yellow lights and red lights, I'm getting chewed up and spit out. When I played in green lights, I did great. When I played in green lights, I struck out Nick Swisher. I was able to get Carlos Pena out. Those are the two biggest guys I faced when I was in college. But the other 100 hitters I faced in yellow lights and red lights, I got torn apart because I wasn't giving myself the best chance for success because I wasn't in control of myself, right? So – what what we work on a lot in mental performance is teaching athletes to learn to recognize when am I in yellow lights and red lights based off of my physiology, based off of my focus, based off of my self-talk. And how do I then, if I'm struggling and I'm in a red or yellow, how do I get myself back to green? And I think one of the key things I learned from Rich Franklin, who was a, a UFC mm. champion. Yes. Used to be used to be a Cincinnati school teacher, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cincinnati middle school math teacher turned into UFC Hall of Famer. I can tell you that story. Unbelievable. Incredible. Unbelievable. But he goes, uh, he, he said to me after we were working, we worked together after he lost to Anderson Silva the first time. And after he won his next couple of fights, beat Travis Luter, won another fight. And I said, what's that? When guys usually get done working together with me, I always ask them, what work that are different? What difference did our work make? What did you take away that you thought was most beneficial? And he said, working with you, I thought I would be in green lights, positive and confident all the time. He said, what I realized was that's impossible. What I realized was you're going to get into yellow lights and red lights, but you have something to go to to get you back into green. And he goes, and that makes all the difference when you're in a fight or you're in a training camp 
that you catch yourself getting out of control and you can get back into control before you lose it. And, and, and how do they get, how, how does Rich Franklin get back into control? Yeah. So, so uh, in a, in a sport that's constantly flowing and doesn't stop like mixed martial arts, right. Or wrestling. Um, it's more of a self-talk deal. I mean, same so one of St. Pierre's triggers used to be like, they would have sweat on there. I remember talking to him say, Hey, let's talk about a release inside of the octagon. What do you do? And he used to get sweat on his gloves and he's like, well, they would slide if I was hitting somebody. So you'd see him do this, wipe the sweat off his gloves that he was doing anyway and take a deep breath. And he would never do it if he was really close, but if they had distance, right. And he had that distance, he would do that as like a reset. Mm-hmm. A more obvious example case would be, let's say I'm a hitter and I'm, I'm in green lights, things are going good. And then I get my pitch and I swing through my pitch and I'm like, man, that was it. I step out of the box and I have a th- what I call my three rules to release. The three rules to release, this is Ken Revisa again, three rules to release. Step one, physical action with association. I'm a hitter. I step out, bat under my arm, batting gloves. That's my physical action. Let that pitch go. This is wipe away the rest of that round, lock into right now. The second step, take a deep breath to release. So George would do it together. A hitter would do it like this. Pitch, I step out. And the third thing I have is a verbal trigger. Let's go. So it might look like this. He's saying to himself, let's go. Or he's saying to himself, push the pace, right? Or whatever it would be. The hitter would be here. Boom. Step one, bat under the arm, batting gloves. Take a deep breath as I'm doing it. Remind myself my three keys. See the ball, be easy, hammer it. Boom. I'm back in the box. So that's the three-step release. And... You know, um, when you're riding a bike and you crash and you're in a red light, you get back up, you dust yourself off, and I'm wiping away that crash. I take a deep breath. I get back on the pedals, and I say to myself, let's not fall again, and I get going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, well, you know, I didn't have that one, two, three release. I was just, uh, you know what I mean? I, I was like, get me in the I cold tub. Bike. I go, I'm looking to hit the caner. And I go, let's go get some red meat. I'm like, caner, this is a terrible idea, but let's go to a rodeo. We end up going to a rodeo that night, which is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, dude, this UFC f- stuff is incredible because, you know, in baseball, how it's a little different is I almost feel like it's golf in a team environment. Right. It really is. Cause at the end of the day, you're in a batter's box. You got a guy on a mound, you know, and, and it's, it's that one-on-one thing now. And, and obviously a UFC guy, dude, he's, he's in it too. And I always say this is one of the things that, you know, getting yourself into a state, the proper state is what you're really talking about is like being able to take that breath and slow yourself down to turn your vision on, to slow everything down. As a UFC fighter, because when I think back to Ray Lewis, he was like, "Oh man, I used, when I was a middle linebacker, I was thinking they're trying to kill my mom, or they're they're, they're trying to take my lunch, and I'm I'm gonna light this guy up." Like if you yeah. think about if you think about that way in baseball, you'd get eaten up or golf. As a UFC fighter, you know, is it a, a calm aggression or is it aggressive all the time, or you know, what have you seen when fighters get into trouble? What's the biggest reason? Well, Case, one thing I would say is that is that there are exceptions to the norm, right? There, there's It's what I call the 10-80-10 rule. So like 10% of the guys might be Ray Lewis. This guy's trying to kill my mom, and I'm going to go take it out on him. 10% right. of the guys there might act like they're sleeping. And then 80% are probably a little bit more you know, in control of themselves, like a controlled rage or relaxed intensity. 
So in the UFC, you know, I've had guys that were like the most professional. I put GSP in this category, the most professional sports science driven, educated in control of himself, like professional. And I've had guys in the other end that were like, you didn't even know if they were quite <laughs> drunk, you know, like they might think that's the edge. So you, so you get like, you know, you, you get, you get a lot of different in some of these guys in this end where you were like, they're loose cannon. What's going to happen. Who's going to show up. Those guys are also uber successful, but the majority to me, in my experience, the majority of them are probably closer to the St. Pierre model of they're very in control there it's a real it's a controlled rage it's not like a street fight where people were throwing haymakers it's very calculated they're very in control um it's 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 that it's like imagine when you're walking to a playoff at bat in the world series games on the line ninth inning it's like but it's it's like that for 25 minutes of the fight there's that much intensity there's that much focused it's a heightened awareness right it's not it's not like a street fight and the guys that the guys that lose control, and I always use the example of Matt Hughes versus Frank Trigg and Dana White's greatest great, great Dana White's favorite fight ever. I think it was UFC 52. Uh, Trigg is fighting Matt Hughes in a rematch, and Trigg throws a knee into Matt Hughes's groin, mm-hmm. and Matt Hughes backs away and points his hand like this and like spits his mouthpiece out, thinking, "Dude, I just got hit in the groin, man!" Like referee, stop the fight. Mm-hmm. The guy doesn't stop the fight. Trigg comes after him, laying haymakers on the ground. I mean, Hughes, he says in the post-fight, Frank's like, Matt Hughes was out. He was out cold on the ground. I was hitting him, and he was getting worse, but he came back too. So when he's on the when he, yeah, when he, I'll show you the clip. It's amazing. When he's on the ground hitting this guy, he's just throwing haymakers, and he's not hitting. He's hitting the canvas. He's hitting Hughes in the side of the head. He's hitting Hughes' arms that are up here. And you hear uh, Victor, uh, the guy's name's um, – Rico Chaparelli, who was a UFC fighter at the time, was cornering Frank Trigg, title fight, and he's going, Frank, pick your shots. Pick your shots. Like, slow down and be more calculated and finish the fight. He punches himself out. Matt Hughes survives, rolls over, gets up, picks up Frank Trigg, runs him across the cage, slams him on the ground, picks his shots, and finishes the fight in what is Dana White's favorite fight of all time in the UFC. So, even in that moment of these guys that are highly skilled, highly trained, they too can get out of control and try to do too much. And when you get into yellow lights, sometimes your yellow light is because I'm afraid and I'm too passive. Other times your yellow light is because I'm too aggressive and I'm out of control that way too. And the red light is just more magnified. So the key becomes when I'm performing my best, what am I doing in control of myself? And if I recognize myself getting out of control, can I bring it back? I love that. Well, you get it gets back to gets back to awareness, right? What oh. makes me what makes me the best version of me? Because you might be a little bit different. I might have to have my foot a little more on the gas. You have to have it a little more, you know, off the gas. You know, and I think that's one thing is like find out what your demeanor is to become the best athlete. How do you find out? Deliberate repetition. Deliberate repetition every single day is going to make you find out what kind of hitter you are, what kind of UFC fighter you are, what kind of golfer you are. You know, it, it, it really works everywhere. So, um, yeah, I, I love I love that, Kaner. I love that. Um, what about, Kaner, what about college baseball? 
or college sports? Because I want to go that direction now because the college athlete, uh, you know, the professional athlete, we're talking about George St. Pierre. These guys have been in the arena. Jake Arietta, he's a Cy Young Award winner, blah, blah, blah. You work with a ton of the top colleges in, in, in the world, especially in baseball. Can you name a couple of them? I know Texas A&M. I know TCU. I mean, there's a million of them. I know you're traveling all the time to go to these places, and you've been doing that for years. But can you talk about what it's like working with college athletes that haven't heard any of this stuff, but they're also a younger version of maybe a professional athlete? For sure, for sure. Um, You know, as it is in case, to go back to what you were talking about, I was going to pull up a picture here of, of exactly what we're talking about, of what I call the ideal performance state, right? So here's an athlete whose ideal performance state would be between zero and a hundred. He says, when I'm playing my best, this is one of the top college football quarterbacks in the country. When I'm playing my best, my performance state here is between 70 and 85 green light. When I get out of control, trying to do too much, it's 85 to 90. When I'm in red lights, really trying to do too much, it's 90 to hundred. So, so what, when we're talking about finding that ideal state, I like to give it a number. I like okay. to ask them, where are you at right now? Mm-hmm. I want to say, okay, I want, I want you to crank it up to a 90 and go too hard. So you know what that feels like. I want you to dial it back down to a 60 where you're too chill. I want you to know what that feels like. So we bring awareness to the ideal performance state and tie it back into the concept of signal lights and tie it back into a number of like zero to hundred so that we give us something to speak about and create a context. Now going to the college athletes. Love that. Love that. Love that. So going to the college athletes, scene. I mean, I've, I've been, I've been privileged, man, to work with, uh, I mean, national champions, just in 2018, Yale men's lacrosse, Florida State softball, Oregon State baseball. Look at baseball from Vanderbilt to Cal State Fullerton to Coastal Carolina to last year, Ole Miss, um, you know, to 2012 Alabama softball, three national championships in swimming and diving with Georgia's women's team. Um, you know, so I, I've been privileged to work with great with great programs and a lot of programs that, I mean, I had a college football coach get fired this year in the middle of the season. So, you know, there's not all sunshine and roses, man. I mean, sometimes what you do, it doesn't work like it does other places, right? So it's right. it's a it's a it's not a magic pill. It's a system that gets worked over time, and the success of that system is dependent on a lot of factors that are outside of my control, other people, their decisions, their behaviors, etc. So when I'm working with a college program, I use Texas A and M and Jim Slosnagle as an example. And if you look up on YouTube, Texas A and M baseball fuel the jet. There's a 30 minute recap documentary of their season last year. Now, Jim Slosnagel gets hired from TCU to AM. I started with him at TCU in 06. We've worked together every year since. So 06 to 2023, the 2022, 2023 season coming up. Since the pandemic hit in March of 2020, how about this? He says to me, Kaner, pandemic hit, season canceled. We need the mental game now more than ever. We need to do a team Zoom for 30 minutes every week, which we've done since 2020 wow. March. Wow. Other teams wow. going, we don't have time. Our guys are going home. We don't need this. He's going, we need this more now than ever. That's why he goes to a place like Texas A&M and they're picked 13th out of 13 in the SEC. Last in the SEC. They didn't make the SEC tournament in 2021. And in 2022, they win the SEC West, which put four teams, Arkansas, Auburn, Ole Miss, and A&M, into the College World Series, where there's only eight teams. The SEC West had four of their six teams in the damn College World Series. Wow. They win the West, finish second in the SEC behind Tennessee, finish third in the nation in the College World Series. They're picked 13th out of 13. Wow. So I look at that program as a model of head coach, completely bought in. Assistants that he hired, completely bought in. Players in the locker room bought in. Why? Because it's if it's important to the coach, it's important to the players. 
right? In the in Jim's Jim and I every week when we talk, I help him create his messaging and his mindset and what he wants to do in the program. And he he could do it on his own. You know, he's that good at it. He's maybe the best coach in the country. Maybe not named Nick Saban, but yeah, put him on a platform against Saban doing this. Saban right. has a master's in sports psychology. In case you didn't know that, but right. those those two guys do mental performance coaching with their team, just like I do. But he brings me in to support what he's doing because I can I can talk with players in a different contest because I'm not controlling playing time. Players aren't intimidated by me. They might be by him because he's the head coach at Texas A&M. You know, he has time fractured, pulled to different things, and I can sit down on a Zoom for five hours in a day and talk to 10 of his players for 30 minutes each and and, and make that happen, right? So it's um, it's implementing a system, and that system is what we call the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery, and the system is based off of this case. And I think this is where, where as I'm looking at my wall at a picture of that one you hold up of Harvey Dorfman and Ken Revisa, right? Yeah. Harvey and Ken were the pioneers in the mental game. I look at it as my responsibility. That's why I have Ken's face tattooed on my chest. That's why my daughter's middle name is is Kendall. Uh, That's why I have their picture up here in my office. Is my responsibility to take the work that they created and started and carry it into the next generation and put it into a framework, the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery, the skills that people need, right? We do drills to develop skills to make a skill set. Well, the drills would be recognize your signal lights. The skill is awareness. The skill set is all 10 pillars that come together. And if we can, if I can help bring awareness to what are the drills that you do to develop the 10 skills to make the skill set of mental toughness or mental performance mastery, I feel like I'm leaving the field of mental performance or sports psychology or the mental game of baseball or whatever better than I found it. And if I can do that and that's on my gravestone, man, then I'm, I'm winning. That's incredible, Karen. That's incredible. I, I feel an obligation too. I know you feel an obligation to Ken. I feel an obligation to Harvey. You know, we talk about this stuff too, you know, because of what, you know, of the pioneers that, you know, that they were. The one thing that frustrates me, and I don't know if you ever get, if you ever feel this way, was I tell people all the time, hey, listen, you can go take a million swings in the batting cages. You could do that all day long. You can go be the strongest person in the world. Strongest guy on the field. So you got the sweetest looking swing. You can hit a ball 500 feet and you're the strongest guy out there. But you don't work on your mental game. None of that matters. Because at the end of the day, I got to have tools that you just said, like the 10 pillars. I got to have tools. I got to have awareness. I got to have everything I need to go take that swing, take that strength into a batter's box and now take my mind, put myself into a state, learn how to breathe, learn how to slow down, learn how to attack the game in a, in, with an aggressive calm that only can be worked on by learning how to do it day in and day out and learning these tools. And I'm sure you've, you've come across people in this, in this field where you're like, you're not willing to work on the mental game. Well, then you're not going to go to the next level. I mean, that's how I feel. That's how strong I feel about it. You're not willing to put the time in for the mental, your mental side of the game, learn how to slow down, breathe and stuff. Well, you're probably, your talent's only going to take you so far. No doubt. And I think, I think there's a couple of challenges here, Case, that we can, we can bring to light. And, and one of which is, the difference between clinical sports psychology and performance sports psychology, right. performance coaching. So, right. so they're two, they're two very different tracks. The clinical psychology piece of, you know, uh, drug, alcohol abuse, sexual abuse, uh, depression, anxiety, eating disorder, body image, like your classic clinical, clinical psychology issues that, that we all deal with De- death, grief, suicidal thoughts, all those things. And 
what happens a lot of times is organizations or, or athletic departments hire someone to do clinical. Their training is in clinical, but they like sports. So they say, yeah, I can do sports psychology. And they go in to work with a coach, athlete, or team who doesn't have said clinical issues. And the person goes, this doesn't relate to me. And they get turned off by it instead of understanding there's two separate tracks. There's the clinical piece, which we all need as human beings. And there's the performance piece, mindset, routines, time management, awareness, better focus, mental imagery for preparation, um, keeping the process over the outcome that are going to help athletes and help coaches. But those, those two fields are different. And unfortunately, sometimes I think they get blended too much. I cannot do the clinical work. I am not trained to do the clinical work. I've been doing the performance work for 20 years. So, you know, I can, I can, I can speak to, from a performance standpoint, I think part of the reason why athletes don't buy in is because the person who's trying to get them to buy in hasn't given them something to buy into. And here's mm. what I mean. Here's what I mean. You, in order to buy into something, you have to have give the, given the person a training plan, something to do. Classic example. Yesterday at my house, a guy who just won a gold glove in Major League Baseball. Never met him. Never. He's here in Arizona. <clears throat> and I get connected to by the person he's out here to see and says, hey, can this player come and meet with you? And I'm like, who is it? And they go, so-and-so. I go, oh, yeah, I'll cancel what I got today. Send them over. But it comes over. Awesome opportunity to, for me to meet this player who's one of the best in baseball. And as we're talking, I said, why are you here? And, you know, as he kind of thought about it, me being excited, I was like, well, here's the three reasons why people usually come here. I answered it for him, which I shouldn't have done. Here's, <laughs> what people, here's why people come here. They come here, one, because they're frustrated because they're injured and they don't know what to do. And they're, they're just feeling miserable. Two, they're underperforming. They just lost a big UFC fight or they they're got sent to the minor leagues, which was Corbin Byrne's situation. Or three, everything's going great. I want to keep it going great. I don't have to be sick to get better. And this is the category that the player fell into. And as we talked and we got to the end of the day and I said, what was the biggest thing you took away? And he goes, I never realized that mental skills could be trained like the physical skills of, of playing baseball or like working with a mental coach like I work with. Eric Cressy, one of the best strength coaches in baseball, he goes, makes total sense to me. I never had it outlined to me that way. Mm. And then I explained to him, well, here's what we call the four stages of buy-in. Stage one, not for me. Resistant. Don't need that. Stage two, okay for others. Man, Sean Casey. Right. That guy's a 10-year major league, 300 hitter. Okay, Corbin Burns, Sion Ward winner, Heisman Trophy winners, and UFC fighters. Man, maybe I should pay attention to this. It's okay for others. Step three is where people get lost. I'll try it. And in order for you to try something related to mental performance training, a coach has to give you something to try. Try having a morning routine. Try doing mental imagery and visualization using one of my audios on YouTube. Try having a success checklist like heroic or habits or, or a list of things you do. Try having a routine when you walk the home plate to one, take one of my favorite strategies I learned from you. Try writing down the three things you do to keep it simple when you're competing at your best. I do that with every athlete I work with, regardless of the sport case, and I learned it from you, right? See the ball, be easy, hammer it. What is that for you? And I show them that clip and say, here's how Sean will use it. How do you do it? And I go, oh, for me, it's, it's you know, one play at a time, breathe and be big. And they go through what it is for them in their sport. And then step four is they say, I can't believe I did it any other way. And if I can show a clip right now of Jake Fraley, plays for the Cincinnati Reds, and he's played parts of four Major League Baseball seasons and injured a lot you know, in those seasons. And this year I get connected to him about two months before the All-Star break, and he's battling with an injury and frustrated. So we get started together. Comes back, his first game back after the All-Star break. He has his first three-hit game of his career, home run, couple RBIs. Gets interviewed right on the field after the game. So there's no, there's no practice. 
There's no script. It's just, hey, man, welcome back. Boom, here's a microphone and a camera in your face. And listen, Case, to what he says, because he literally walks through the four stages of buy-in. And he also says some great strategies that I think our listeners can take and use, regardless of whether they are athletes, whether they're in baseball, whether it's corporate America, whether it's everyday guys, you know, looking to just be the best version of them. Um, there's so much in here. So can I play this clip real quick? Go ahead. All right, guys, thank you very much. You know, you always want to endear yourself to the team when you return. I would say that's a pretty good night for you. How do you feel? I feel amazing. I mean, obviously got the win, so that's huge for us. Uh, we've been on a little bit of a slide, so to get the momentum going for us and, and the bats going, and obviously Mally came out and did a very good job. Bullpen did a good job, so it was a great night for everybody. When you came back, you talked publicly about when you were out and injured, you went kind of to a dark place, even sought some professional help. How tough was it? being out i mean for me it's uh obviously everybody's different right everybody deals with things differently for me it was uh just a lot of things that were kind of hitting me one after the other for the last year and change with some freak injuries and stuff that's out of my control boom there's one right there stuff that's out of my control we got to get clear on what's in my control what's out of my control and let go of the things i can't and focus on the things i can boom let's continue um, and so for me, you know, being a professional athlete, um, you know, I had to kind of analyze everything. And um, I went out and, and I hired a guy, his name is Brian Kane. Um, phenomenal guy, is the best money I ever spent on myself. Um, and just allow. How about that? <laughs> that's a nice, that's a nice. Good plug, right? And yeah, big I, plug. I, awesome. So, but you're going to listen now, go through the four steps yeah. of a buy in, and you're going to hear him talk about like strategies that he's taken away. One of you already heard was controllables. On me to, to learn about staying in the moment, learning about what I can control and trusting my process. Well, it takes a lot of courage to admit that, and I'm sure it will help people that are seeking help in other facets of life. No, absolutely, and that's why I want to be very vocal about it because I know for me when it all kind of came about in the beginning, I was kind of like, there's no way I'm going to do that. Um, why would I Step one, no way I'm going to do that. No way I'm going to go meet with a mental coach, not for me do that i mean as a professional athlete and you talk to a lot of professional even fighters ufc fighters right um they have a lot of trouble with it too and ufc fighters okay for others uh and for guys to be able to kind of analyze and kind of take a step back and realize that that's something that they can utilize right you have the physical side but you also have the mental side and 90 percent of the time the mental side is the biggest part um so to be able to get somebody that has the knowledge to help you i mean it's everything and so 90 percent of it is mental and to get somebody who has the knowledge to help you meaning to give me a plan that i can follow and things that i can do that's why he said it's the best money i've ever spent let's wrap up this interview quick it's very very impressive now with that in mind obviously this game has to mean in your performance and i has to mean a ton oh absolutely and for me it's uh you know, i'm enjoying it obviously uh right now and as soon as i get in that shower and uh i'm gonna shower the game off and, and get ready for tomorrow boom shower the game off let it go get ready to go tomorrow so case when you're watching that video what are you taking out of that brother I love that, man. I love that. One thing I think of when I see that video and just can't or just haven't played 12 years in the big leagues, I know Jake's a young kid too. When you have those three for four games, that process seems sweet, doesn't it? You're like, man, this stuff works. <laughs> but it's when you start to grind and go 0 for 16, 0 for 20, because that's coming, baby. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can book it. The failure's coming. Can you stick with the process? Can you do it over 162? I told this story the other day on the Ed Milet show. Um, I was talking about um, Albert Pujols. In in uh, I was in the um, food room with Scott Rowland and uh, Scott Rowland and um, and Mike Piazza in the food room. We're talking. And I said Scott because Scott played for the Cardinals at the time. I said, "Man, 
Albert Pujols, what's, what's the difference, man? Why is he better than all of us? We're at the All-Star game, and this guy's at another level. What is it? He goes, Case, i never seen anything like it. It could be July, hottest day in July in Kansas City, 9 nothing game in the ninth. And Albert Pujols will put a 12, 13, 14-pitch at bat together because he doesn't give away one pitch. His process, his protocol, yeah. staying in the moment, being so focused is at a level I've never seen before. And over 162, it plays out that he's the best player in the game. And I fast forward, Kaner, I say 18 years later after that conversation, what did we watch this year from Albert Pujols? We watched him hit 3,000 last year. We watched him hit a 700 home run. We watched him become, you know, he was in a lot of categories with a guy named Babe Ruth, right? (laughs) All because this guy was able to focus on protocol process, not results, just one pitch at a time over 162 for 20 some years, do it every single night, no matter if he was 0 for 30 or 30 for 30 and stick with his game plan. And it turns out that's why his numbers are what they are. So when I look at a guy like Jake Fraley, I say, Hey man, that's incredible that that process worked. Can you do it every night and not let the results dictate how you feel? Yeah. So good. So good. You know, and, two things to dive in there. One, I'm working with the Southern California baseball team. Can't remember what year it was. And it's opening weekend, the second week of February. And Pujols shows up to take BP at Southern Cal before spring training. Yeah. So uh, naturally, we all go out and are standing around home plate and watching him hit. And he starts, he's, but he starts in the cage. And he's hitting in the cage. And his strength coach or somebody's with him putting a ball on a tee in case. It was like robotic, just at the bat, in the box. And he would do this number like he always would do. And then he would come set and just whack. And you could have put a shoe box in the back right corner of the plate about chest high. And it was 10 out of 12 balls in that shoe box. And he's hitting and he's chalking his, chalking his bat between, right, with his pine tar. He turns around and he goes, hey, you guys got any questions? You know, feel free, feel, feel free to ask. Whoa, my hand goes up right as a right, person. Right. <laughs> and I said, Albert, how important is the mental game to your success? And he's chalking his bat, right, with his pine tar. And he goes, to your point, these Peace right here. Peace is everything. He says, it might be April, might be May, June. I might have five. I might have 10, but I know I'm going to get my 40 by the end of the year because I stay consistent. Wow. And I was like, wow. Wow. Awesome. And then to your point with Fraley, right? So here's one thing, and he he would not fall into this category, but a lot of our players do, of they work a process. They have some success. It might be one game, one week, one month, one year. And they go, oh, I got it figured out. Oh, kiss of death. Kiss of death, bro. Kiss of death right there. And when they say, I got it figured out, and then they go, then I don't hear from them. Oh. And then they get away. I go look at their, I look at their heroic or their habits here, and they get away from it. And they stop doing the things that made them good because I got it figured out. Right. Now, Jake Fraley, not that guy. Corbin Burns, not that guy. But there's a lot of the guys I work with that fall in that category of that guy. And what would you say, Case, about the importance of you're always under construction and just because you find a process that works for you, you have to stay consistent with it and you're never there. Bro, I, I love that. That's the kiss. Of the, I used to tell people, he'd be like, oh, man, this this feels, uh, I think I got it figured out. It's like, oh, take it back. 
suck it back into your mouth somehow. Like, yes, yeah. Don't ever say that ever again because I've said that before and it it comes out and it crushes you. And I think one of the biggest things is, bro, I played 12 years in the big leagues, career 300 hitter, had some success, had a ton of failures, you know, uh, the ups and downs of the game, the emotional wave, all the stuff. When I retired, uh, when I retired in my last year, 2008 with the Red Sox, I walked away, bro. And I, and I kind of like, I remember one day taking a walk by myself and I said, isn't that incredible? I never figured it out. I never figured it out. Even with all the success, all that stuff, some fail, a lot of failure. And I, that's the great part about this game. That's a great part about life too, Kaner, is that we're, we, we got to do stuff every day to try and figure out what makes us the best version of ourselves. Some days you're going to have great days and some days you're not, but you just kind of keep going to, to make sure that, you know what, at the end of the day, when I look back, I can say I did everything I could every single day to be the best version of myself. Yeah. And I think, you know, th- th- it's funny you mentioned talking about what can you do every day to become the best version of yourself. Yeah. And if, if I'm gonna make a profound statement here, case mm-hmm. in 20 years of doing this work, I guess now, since I, I guess my first team I worked with was the Katua Ketaliers in the Cape Cod League, you know, one that's now 2023 20, almost. So let's call it 21, 22 years of doing this work. And I'm talking about obsessed, like right. obsessed. <laughs> it's what I want to do. It's, it's, it's all I read, all my books. Like I don't have a social life, really. I don't really watch TV. I just, unless it's something I'm watching related to mental performance, like most of my relationships are related to mental performance because it's just what I want to do. And in 20 years of being obsessed with this and don't do an overall 200 podcasts where I interview people like yourself um, and learning from the best of the best, because I wasn't and I'm not, but I love to learn from those who I believe are. I would like to summarize in one process the most important thing I've learned in 20 years of doing this work. Mm. And that one process is what I would use, and I call it the four-step goal formula. If it's a baseball context, I call it the four-step player development formula. And I just used it in a corporate setting this week at a seminar I did in Scottsdale, Arizona. I called it the four-step personal development formula. Here it is. Step one, set your intention. What do you want? What are you going to do? Tell me what you're going to do. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. How big your goal is, tell me what you're going to do today, small, to move the needle towards that goal. So what's your intention? I want to meditate every day. Great. Let's start there. Two, schedule it. When are you going to do it? I'm going to do it in my morning routine. And the four places that we schedule things, AM routine, PM routine, startup routine, shutdown routine. AM routine, when you wake up. PM, obviously, before you go to bed. Startup would be when you get to the network. Shutdown would be when I leave the network. Right, startup for me is when I walk in this office. Shutdown is before I leave the office. It's my separation between who I am outside of here as a dad and a husband and what I do as a coach. And then how I shut down what I do as a coach to go be a dad and a husband. So step one, set your intention. Step two, schedule it. Step three is measure it. And that's where a success checklist, right? And that's what the heroic app is going to provide is a checklist of items that you need to do on a daily basis, your protocol, your process that make you the best version of you. Right. But you can't trust the process if you don't have one. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to have a process, it can't be in your head. It has to be on paper. It's got to go from the clouds to the dirt. So one of the number one things I do with with athletes is tell me the the intentions. What are the things that you're going to do? Let's say it's listen to my daily podcast, meditate and uh, do a concentration grid every day. Okay, three things. Podcast, meditation, concentration grid. Schedule it. When are you going to do it? All in my morning routine. Good. When you do it, check the box in your success checklist that you did it. So you're bringing some analytics and awareness to your behaviors. And step four, reflect and refocus. What did I do well this week? What do I want to do better? How am I going to do it? 
And I share the story of Corbin Burns that when I first met him in 2019 case, he had been sent to the minor leagues after having a 10 year array as a starter for the Brewers. And he sat right here in this office and I asked him about his process every five days between starts. And as we started talking, I, uh, you know, it was arm care, it was throwing, it was mechanical work. I go, tell me about your mental game process. He's like, well, I don't really have one. He had not been trained in one. I mean, he's intelligent, he's hardworking, awesome human being, tremendous character, coachable. This has never been given a process from a mental game standpoint. So we put one together. And what happens? 2020 has a great year coming out of the pandemic. 2021, he's a Cy Young Award winner, is the best pitcher in baseball, all-star. 2022, all-star. So if you take a look at this video from the middle of the 2021 season, take a listen to the announcers talking about his checklist. I want to follow up on what you guys were talking about with Corbin Burns just being more locked in and really taking that huge jump. Well, what he says is a big part of that is the mental approach and kind of learning more about what his process is. His agent suggested that he work with sports psychologist Brian Kane, someone who works with a lot of notable athletes. And what Kane was able to help him realize is that he needed more structure to his routine. So he put him through a lot of things. One of those was a mental training program that the Navy SEALs use. But he does this thing now. It's called a success checklist, which is about 25 tasks a week and it can be as simple as making your bed or doing the laundry but it's something every single week that he just checks off checks off and that mental approach guy he says is a big reason for what he's been able to do on the mound so that's that concept right the success checklist is okay here's my intentions what i want what we've discussed that he's going to do his drill the schedule when is he going to do them measure it i can see i can see you know on that checklist that he shared with me when he does it and then we reflect and refocus when we get on our weekly call and talk about, okay, what'd you do well? What do you want to do better? How are you going to do it? And it's a process that we've repeated weekly since we started together in 19. And he sees the value in that process and realizes how difficult it is to stick to a process and be consistent. Well, what's incredible is Corbin Burns always had the stuff. He always threw 97, 98, bowling ball sink, you know, grit and wipeout slider, great changeup, all that stuff. He starts to put a structure together. He starts to put that, you know, piece together where he has a system that he does that you've helped him with. All of a sudden, he's the Cy Young Award winner. So that, that's what I, I find that talent gets you so far. And then when you start getting mental tools to, to, to live in the moment and dominate, all of a sudden, you're the Cy Young Award winner. Kaner. Listen, brother, this has been incredible. It has been absolutely, it was, it's everything I thought it would be. You could probably talk for the next five hours, you and I, because we, we have done it, you know, because I'm, I'm obsessed with the mental, mental performance coaching and mental, mental performance in life, too. And, and for anyone out there, too, we're, we're big Brian Johnson fans. And what that, it, it, go get the heroic app, because so many things we've talked about it is, it has to do with heroic about, you know, habits and about process and AMP and bookends, all that stuff. It's an incredible thing. Hey, Kaner, where can our listeners find you, brother? Yeah, for sure. So for, first place to find me, obviously, the easiest entry point is going to be on social media, and it's going to be at Brian Kane Peak. The next place to find me is to go to my website, uh, briancane.com. And at that website, I have a free course, a three-day mini course for coaches, oh, call it coaches or parents, and I have a three-day free mini course for athletes. So you can join uh, there and get some get the free course that you know you can go through in three days and learn a lot of the, about the 10 pillars and more of the drills case that, that we have talked about here today. The other place uh, that people can get me, I always like to give three. So social media at Brian Kane Peak, briancane.com with my free courses. And the third place would be if you go uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you're taking down the mayor's office, search for 
Brian Kane Mental Performance Daily. I do a daily podcast Monday through Friday where I do about about three minutes and it's a message related to the 10 pillars of mental performance. Saturday, I tell a story uh, such as uh, one of the podcasts will be called Casey's Corner coming up soon. (laughs) Sunday, Sunday, I do a meditation where I tie the week together. So those would be the three places that people can find me. Social media, briancane.com and my daily podcast, Mental Performance Daily. All right, Kaner, man. Awesome. I'll be out to ride bikes with you here soon. You know, let me know. Let me know if that that room's still available. And uh, dude, unbelievable stuff. Our listeners have got, I've gotten so much out of it, dude. I know our listeners got a lot out of it too. And uh, looking forward to catching up with you soon, brother. Yeah. yeah, Case, you know, I'm excited to be uh, December 9, 10, 11 in L.A. at the Heroic event, which, um, you know, yes. we're going to do. I'm, I'm talking there about the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery. And then yeah. I have the opportunity to do it to facilitate a panel of athletes talking about mental performance. And you will be one of the athletes on that panel. So I'm thrilled to, to do that with you. Talk a little powers in the gaps, too. Right. We'll talk a little powers in the gaps uh, up there. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> 100%. I'll, throw you, I'll throw you some softballs so you can hit the, of the gap. <laughs>